So I think the main problem is just the complete lack of discussion of diversity and gender and sexuality, which right. already mm. is heteronormative in itself. And then also the fact that the main thing that is shown and talked about is this how to put a condom on, which is very much just like s centered on the penis, you know, and there are mm. what about people who are having sex and there's no penis involved or what about people who want to have other types of sex, you know? Queering the Perspective with Bela Bellissima. Okay, hello, hello, hello. Hello. And welcome to this eighth episode of the podcast Queering the Perspective. Today I'm here with Amaya. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and yes, we're going to talk a bit about sex education and about why we need to queer sex education. And yes, before we start with the talk, I um, wanted to ask if you would like to introduce yourself. So what are your pronouns and what your current state of mind is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. Well, yeah, my name is Amaya and my pronouns are she, her. And my current state of mind, I am, I mean, I'm feeling quite relaxed today and really excited for this talk. And I've just been thinking a lot about sex education later, lately and I just feel mostly excited. Mm -hmm. And just from the top of your head if you could change just like one thing about sex education and it would be implemented immediately what would it be but only one thing ah uh, whoa that's really hard because <laughs> there are so many things that i would <laughs> like to change um but i think yeah making it less heteronormative is the most urgent one okay at the moment yes. yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay <laughs> yes Amaya, the sex educator, 2030, <laughs> 2022, sorry. <laughs> um, and yeah, with that, we are already right in the topic, I would say. So maybe before we start <laughs> criticizing se sex education, can you first maybe tell the listeners what is sex education, how we understand it, and how it's like practiced? Uh-huh. Well, sex education in general terms is about teaching in a school setting to students about human sexuality, about gender and sexuality related issues, about STIs, and everything that encompasses these topics, uh, which is very broad. Yeah, that's mostly what sex education is in a definition. Okay, great. And how did you become passionate ab about this topic? What sparked your interest? I think I've always been really interested in the field of like interpersonal relationships and how people relate to one another and also about vulnerability and about intimacy on a personal level and then the more like over the years I realized I realized that sexuality is still very stigmatized in our society and also the sex education that I received was really poor and limited And to me, it is of crucial importance that that changes and that there is an inclusion of a lot of topics which are very, very impactful in our 
experience in our identity and that we need to discuss it more and and that's mostly why i want to dedicate my life to it okay and if you say that things should change what is like what is what is happening right now when you i mean you've read a lot about this topic and you've um, engaged with it a lot so if a kid grows up today in Europe, I, I mean, of course, it, dif it differentiates from country to country, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. But if a, if, a, if a child grows up today and has received sex education, how does that look like on average, let's say? Yes. Um, yeah. So, of course, as you said, it, it varies a lot from country to country, but there are some general standards and some general trends that are mm -hmm. happening. In Europe is what I know the most because it's where I've done the most uh, research so far. And the what sex education looks like is mostly biologically, medically oriented. So it's talking a lot about reproduction, for example. Normally it happens in, in the biology classroom setting mm. and it tends to be either a teacher or a doctor that comes in, which mm. already, of course, sets a really medical scene to it. And then while you discuss topics like reproduction on a scientific level so what happens uh, when we reproduce both for the male genitalia and for the female genitalia um, and then it's also a lot about STIs which are mostly still referred to as STDs although that shouldn't be the case Why? that shouldn't be the case because um, the difference between STI and ST is that an STI is when you are infected with any type of sexually transmitted infection and you don't show any symptoms, which is very common, that's mm -hmm. when it's called STI. And okay. for the most common STIs in Europe today, which are chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, um, you most of the times don't show any symptoms and you don't really suffer so much from it, which means that it is an STI. And so that's why Today, sex educators are promoting that that's what we should call them because when you call it a STD, sexually transmitted disease, it also carries a lot more like stigma and fear mm. uh, with the connotations that the word disease carries. So yeah, that's another thing. And the main problem with also the way STIs are talked about today in sex education is very much within this fear-induced narrative of like, I will show you this super scary photos of like people who have chlamydia or gonorrhea with symptoms and like in a, at a really late stage. And that obviously promotes this stigma and this fear towards the disease instead of normalizing it and just talking about the treatment possibilities in a more positive frame. Uh, yeah, I think that's super interesting and also already one point of a concrete sort of like action point of how sex education can be changed and maybe we can come back to that later but now to continue a bit of like what sex education is like when when you talked about the setting that normally sex education is sort of done today I, I was really reminded of how it was for me when I was I don't I think we received like proper sex education in like eighth grade and mm -hmm. it was Yeah, it was also within biology class, and it was so awkward. Like mm. all the children were just mm. not having it. Everybody mm. was like in the middle of like starting puberty, and um, everybody was laughing. And then the teacher was completely overwhelmed. Like didn't know how to make this topic engaging and interesting, and in a way that is not stigmatizing and not sort of like humoristic, and 
it was mainly just yeah showing like okay how do you put a condom on a cucumber and then everybody of course like was cracking up <laughs> and could not take it serious at all and so i think in the end like i took away nothing from mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. from this class except from the fact that like okay sex is super awkward and you have to like somehow find out how to do it yourself and Hopefully one point you get it, but yeah, nobody's yeah. really gonna teach you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super, yeah, it is super scary if you <laughs> if you think about it because yeah, uh, like it's it's really not taken seriously by most students. Like most people that I meet in life, I ask them what their sex education was like, and there's really often this trope of like the doctor comes in, shows you how to put the condom on. Um, like the funny the funny person in the class goes and like tries everyone laughs and that's it you know mm, and yeah totally like on this humoristic tone without really taking it seriously and talking about sensitive vulnerable topics because everyone is awkward and so then you laugh and, and that's just kind of how you react um, yeah and also again in this very medical setting like for example what you told me I thought was really interesting that in German sex education is science of no the, the science of sex the yeah. science of sex which already is kind of really framed in this way yeah yeah okay and then to to go to transition a bit into suggestions of how it can be changed how it can be queered mm -hmm. um Maybe let's start with like the basic premise of heteronormativity that you already outlined in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So in what sense can you see heteronormativity within the school-based sex education we see today? Yeah. So I think the main problem is just the complete lack of discussion of diversity and gender and sexuality, which right. already mm. is heteronormative in itself. And then also the fact that the main thing that is shown and talked about is this how to put a condom on which is very much just like s centered on the penis you know and there mm. are what about people who are having sex and there's no penis involved or what about people who want to have other types of sex you know um in this way it's already really limited and and then yeah the lack of visibility and discussion about about other possibilities that are not the norm which is what you see everywhere all the time yeah and and within this norm i think it also really implies heterosexuality as in you know you have a man and a woman and then they're having penetrative sex and in the end you know people reproduce Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's very also like penis centered mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, in, a, mm -hmm. in a way it's also like i don't i don't recall having ever talked about this female orgasm you know that mm -hmm. that even exists and of course it's the basic premise that there is the male orgasm because that's what makes the baby like mm -hmm, <laughs> in, <laughs> in quotation marks so i think yeah that's also like a huge a huge problem that you can see how how influential like patriarchal thinking is also within sex education yeah for sure absolutely and um not only so when i say for me the querying of sex education not only does it involve talking about different ways of gen like different genders and different sexualities different possibilities outside of the heteronormative standards but also mm -hmm. within the heteronormative standards taking a more feminist stance and talking about female pleasure, which is something that has been oppressed in our society for mm. the last 
300 years, you know, and it, talking about the clitoris, talking about like how to stimulate each other, how to also the importance of focusing on, on both people reaching wha whatever they want to yeah. reach, be it an orgasm or different type of pleasure. Also talking about different ways of having sex that is not necessarily penetrative sex and not so oriented towards penis inside a vagina because there are so many possibilities within the world of sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really great example, actually, of how, yeah, how patriarchy is shown within sex education. Mm -hmm. And I think for me also, the patriarchy very closely relates to the gender binary, that there is this idea that there's two genders and that one is superior to the other, which, of course, I'm personally deconstructing by being non-binary, but for a lot of people, it's still the case. And I think the gender binary is so harmful in its essence because of its sort of inherent or like intrinsic connection to patriarchy and that that harms actively people of of course living outside of the gender binary but also everyone living within the gender binary like women that are that are subjugated and also men that need to fulfill some hegemonic stereotypes about masculinity so i was wondering if you could yeah. if you could expand a bit upon um the gender binary and its role in sex education or how also maybe sex education perpetuates the idea of the gender binary yeah so that's that's a really important aspect for me because when it comes to the sex education that i would like to dedicate my life to I think for me it's really important that sex education is queer that there is a queering of sex education and a really crucial premise to that is that we question the gender binary in sex education in class settings and that we talk with students not that we teach them but that we discuss together about what the gender binary is and the ways in mm. which everyone is harmed from this binary in different ways and the gender roles that are assigned to women with emphasized femininity with sexualization with having to for example please um their partners and yeah. always be pleasing and giving um in sexual relationships and in general uh and then for for men also this idea of toxic masculinity of having to oppress your emotions and not being able to be vulnerable with each other and a lot more competitive uh, all these things talking about it since a very early age and deconstructing yeah. it together i think can be very very liberating and emancipatory and it's a huge i think part of sex education as well yeah, yeah. i mean definitely to already teach like at a very young age for example girls that they also have the right to pleasure and that they also have the right to yeah to receive within sexual relations because also the way that i learned sex education is that you know yeah sex is over when there is the male orgasm mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's a huge problem this orgasm gap it's talking talk yeah. about the female orgasm gap and um there is also like in the end together with like i think there is an analogy that can be drawn here like a comparison when you talk about the gender binary um and how it is important to talk about it for people who are non-binary and who are beyond this and it's really important to include them in sex education and talk about it but as we said before it is really important for everyone to question the binary because everyone is is 
had like is suffering from detrimental consequences of of living within these roles that oppresses in different ways and in the same way it happens with with pleasure you know sometimes this this um, orgasm gap is not only harming women who are not able to enjoy and fulfill the, the max potential of their pleasure but also to men to their partners if they are able to also pleasure women more it's also something that they're going to benefit from so mm. it's beneficial for everyone to question the binary and to question the like the normative standards of pleasure yeah yeah and how come the gender binary and heterosexuality as we also said before are so intrinsically linked like mm -hmm. where where is this idea originating from and how can it be broken yeah so um something i mean lately i've been doing research on queering sex education uh for my thesis and it was really interesting um that during the interviews that i carried out and I was talk I was asking my my interviewees about their gender and about their sexuality, and I re I realized that for people who are beyond the binary, who are like gender non-binary, the sexualities that exist do not apply to them mm -hmm. because if you are bisexual, if you are heterosexual, if you are homosexual, it already implies that you are from one gender, right? So this is ex this it shows how gendered sexualities are mm. and how these two concepts are really strongly linked together. Yeah. I don't know how you relate to that personally. Yeah, I mean totally. I could completely relate. I remember in the second episode we also talked about bisexuality and we talked about also yeah, my sexual orientation or my sexuality and then I've come to realize in the past months that yeah my sexuality is just non-binary because like it's impossible to have like a to have like a sexual orientation you know because if you don't have a gender yourself or if you have your own unique gender you cannot have you know attraction to the opposite or the same because it doesn't exist or at least that's that's my perception of my gender that it's like unique to me and that I have mm. I don't have no gender but I have my own gender that i'm euphoric about and that i really love and appreciate but i think yes it it really does assemble disassemble this idea about gendered sexuality and i mm -hmm, think that's mm -hmm. also for me the power of non-binary like mm -hmm. that's what i what i hear in all kinds of conversations that i have with other people that are non-binary that you are just not limited anymore to this expression of like, okay, so are you homosexual? Are mm -hmm. you heterosexual? And it just doesn't matter anymore. It's just yet another category that falls like off the ranks of what is defining you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just as much as gender fell off as a category defining you. And I think for a lot of people and for me, for sure, that's extremely liberating and emancipatory because that allows me to really define my sexuality on my own terms and to develop a very close link with my spiritual uh, with my sexuality without it being sort of preconceived and prescripted. Yes, 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 yes. And that's why I think the querying of sex education is so important for everyone because then we can really gain a lot more awareness on how these categories that are created both gender and sexualities work in opposition with each other so there's this idea for example uh, of the heterosexual matrix which talks about how 
the idea of homosexuality has been constructing in this othering process as an mm. inferior category to heterosexuality. And when you move beyond this, and when you move beyond these categories, there is a lot of like liberation that comes with that from gender roles, from certain patterns of behaviors that are also now intrinsically to categories like such as being a gay man. There is a yeah. lot of limitations totally. already in, in all these categories and moving beyond them has a lot of potential. And that's why I think, um, yeah, it is important to talk about this in sex education, even for people who are not queer, even for people who don't question these things. And I would say maybe especially for people who are not queer and who don't question these things. Yeah, that's a super interesting stance and also not to say that, you know, sex education should be queered for queer people because they need some kind of special treatment because mm -hmm. there's some like snowflakes that mm -hmm. are just, you know, yeah. living in their own world. Um, but in fact, like it is also just a very revolutionary act to completely yeah. redefine our sexual relations because so much of how we relate to each other is also within the intimate sphere and also within the sexual sphere and so much of like power relations also goes on within the private i mean there's this whole saying of like what happened in the private stays in the private but no like power relations are actively like navigated within the sexual realm i think yes. and when you have i mean i think you can see that also in the pandemic now of how much is is going unnoticed because it happens in a private realm like it happens in in your apartment in your house and but there's still so much sort of invisible inequality when we talk for example about the orgasm gap when we talk about like unpaid labor emotional labor when we talk about um taking up space and being heard and these are all things that i guess you cannot like measure tangibly because they're in the private you know nobody uh, nobody can see them except for the people involved in it but already there you're assuming a certain role yes yes and that's i think as you said at the beginning now that in in the realms of our lives where we are the most vulnerable and the most intimate there is a lot of potential for change and that's mm -hmm. why i think it's really important to bring about more visibility and conversation about these topics because in order to change certain forms of oppression towards ourselves and towards each other doing it in vulnerable settings and creating the safe spaces and sex education to talk about it and to discuss the different ways in which people are oppressed in which people don't feel comfortable with each other in which like people can improve the way they relate to one another is crucial to do um especially also with the youth mm -hmm. um, yeah and how can that be practically done like how can you create a safe space mm -hmm. a vulnerable space an intimate yet informative space to talk about sex education yeah so yeah this is something that i've been thinking about quite a bit because i would like to to soon start practicing sex education myself uh, back in spain yeah. <laughs> and of course i think it's super important to to create safe spaces in order to have all these conversations that we've just been talking about and all these other topics that are important um and so yeah to create a safe space i think it's really important for the sex educator to be vulnerable to be open and to show fear to show insecurity to show this this human aspect that i'm not 
I'm not a superior. I'm not. I- I'm not creating a hierarchy with the students. I want to mm. take really this non-hierarchical approach, uh, where I'm like, yeah, I'm also a human being trying to figure stuff out, and I'm just as lost as you are sometimes. But here are some tools that I've learned throughout the years, and that I want to share with you. So really taking on this role of like, I want to accompany you in this journey, but I know that I can learn from you in the same way that you can yeah. learn from me taking this approach ah yes (laughs) i love this i just got so many goosebumps because i really do think vulnerability is such an amazing amazing tool and it's so stigmatized so much oppressed and underrated in a sense but i think so much beauty can come out of vulnerability and i think it's also such a it's also so telling that at least in my understanding vulnerability is so closely associated to femininity and so closely associated to inferiority whereas i would completely switch it around and i would say the people that i find most impressive and that i find most inspiring to me are those people that can show vulnerability that can show weakness and that are just relatable in that sense you know there's not someone that is like and that doesn't mean that you can't be like professional and that you can't be extremely knowledgeable but it just means that you also have this side that is very intimate and very emotional Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think that's actually that's actually the way we need to go about also our social relations in the future to also create more empathy and compassion for each other which is so much missing in a lot of discourses we have for example around like transformative justice or decreasing global inequalities that it doesn't come from a place of like empathy and compassion but it's rather like yeah everybody looks out for themselves and because we are living in this sort of rational capitalist mindset and i think yeah just showing and vulnerability and embracing vulnerability as you said is so good and starting that like deep down at the root with sex education yeah because i also think that a root of a lot of problems in our society comes from people being emotionally constipated to mm-hmm. a scary degree, you know? Yeah. And then if if you are actually able to share your emotions more with other people and to talk about it and externalize them, then you're able to deal with them better. So actually being vulnerable is a sign of strength and is a sign of not like uh, avoiding toxic relationships and and trying to work on the relationship you have with yourself and with others so yeah i do think it's crucial for any type of revolution that we want to make that it is a vulnerable one yeah Mm. yeah and you you would almost think that it's like contradictory right that's like that vulnerability is something to hold you back and but but in fact as you like if i understood you correctly you can really become so much stronger in a movement when you are vulnerable and like you are showing up for each other because then it's when you create stronger communities i think Mm. when you're actually able to 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 create these bonds where you're not scared of being vulnerable of showing like this insecurities and fears that we all share and be able to overcome them together yes and about creating community this just brought me to another topic that I, th- that I really wanted to discuss with you today is the, the hierarchy of relationships because you just you were just saying how yeah vulnerability can create like a bond between various people whereas in our 
like let's say mainstream dominating understanding of relationships you have this one relationship with which is the romantic the intimate the sexual relationship which is placed in the hierarchy on the top and then you have maybe good friends that are like still you know close close emotional relationships and then you have like your acquaintances mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah I definitely do think there is a strong hierarchy in interpersonal relationships today in our society. And yeah, I think that this is, it's very important that we debunk and that we talk about this also in sex education. There's also this idea of compulsory monogamy that is very much like strongly, strongly imposed on our society. And I think it also has to do with, of course, like the system that we live in where we need to be very productive you have a job you have a marriage you have there are so many rules that are imposed onto us in order to like live in the way that the system expects us to live but when you start stepping outside of the norm then you you can really question a lot of these things and with this comes the way you relate to one another and that Mm. you don't necessarily have to only be with one person that is completely fine if that works for you because also relationships are complex and it requires a lot of emotional conversation and establishing needs and boundaries very clearly Mm -hmm. but i think that talking about other possibilities in in relating to people and in debunking the hierarchies of like romantic love doesn't have to be on top romantic love doesn't have to entail sexual relationships and talking about other possibilities in the way we relate to one another is crucial also within sex education yeah i mean if you if you only look at asexual people like there are also many people in this world that are just not interested in sexual relationships exactly and that doesn't say anything anything about their like the the importance or the intimacy of the relationships that they have with other people just because they're not practicing sexual exactly exactly and if you think about it although for sure um talking about sexuality in a vulnerable and open way and trying to deconstruct norms is not something that is very present in society definitely sex is very present and there is um mainstream porn there is a lot of sex and and sexualization of bodies happening all around us and also a lot of conversation about sex where sometimes there can be also discrimination against people who just are not sexual and so i think talking about also the asexuality as a very valid sexuality is super important within sex education as well yeah yeah and so within sort of the the framework of queering sex education that you would want to see emerging more like in the upcoming years you would Mm -hmm. you would address all of these topics and particularly i guess also this idea about compulsory monogamy as a way of like sustaining also the system like how and how far and how far could you connect queer sex education with also more of like a critique like a more systemic critique of our like social relations or would that be a bit you know like taking it too far um i mean i think i think sex education should become a subject and i think that for and it should start from a very early age because we are sexual beings from a very early age so i think yeah i probably wouldn't include this for very early 
like for three, four, five year olds. But I think then in teenage years, it's really important to discuss mm. all these systemic issues and connect them together and talk about how, wha- why do we have this compulsory monogamy? Where does this come from? Are there are other societies that are not like this, that they have other ways of relating to one another, that there is polyamory. Why is this the case? And being analytical about it and connecting it to the institutionalization of marriage and the importance of having this and how it connects to also having a man and a woman the man provides the woman is in the house and how this connects then to gender roles and to the gender binary and how we can move beyond all of this i think this should be conversations that need to be happening in school so in a sense it would be like a like a follow-up course that you have like different modules and one builds upon the other and then at yeah. first you you um, establish some sort of like baselines of like okay this is how you use protection this is how orgasm works not only the male has an orgasm not only the female needs to protect and and then you move on further and to say like okay this is how relationships work this is what monogamy is this is what like polyamory is this is what Exactly, yeah, covering a wide range of topics. And now when you said this about um, contraception, it came into my mind, something that I would really like to mention. When we talk, like the current state of sex education that we talked about at the very beginning, does talk about contraception a lot. And it's within this fear-induced kind of narrative of like, don't get an STI, it's a really dangerous Ah. experience, and do not get pregnant. Which I think, of course, it's important to tell people to protect themselves, but not in that way. Yeah. More normalizing it and also talking about it's okay if you get it. These are the possibilities. This is what you can do. Now, when it comes to contraception, it is always about women's contraceptions, the most common ones. So the pill, the pill, the IUD, all like the copper ring. There are a lot of different options. Most of them include hormones, which has been proven to be quite um, detrimental to a woman's health and uh, strongly altering the hormonal processes of estrogen and progesterone Mm. of the body, having crazy mood swings, um, also gain weight or losing weight, pimples, a lot of negative effects and and especially the emotional and psychological kind of burden that, that it can have on women is the strongest one. However, there are also forms of male contraception that are not discussed at all in sex education and that are also not researched so much Mm. um, for many reasons. Um, First, because for, for women, when, for example, a woman has to take a pill, it's something that she has to do as long as she wants to be protected, right? And so you need to buy this pill constantly. Instead, there are certain types of male contraception that you can just buy one time. I think a very interesting example of male contraception, which is not very known and that I would just like to mention for those listeners who might be interested, Mm -hmm. there is a form of male contraception, which is this underwear that people with penises can buy. And I mean, for those who don't know, the sperm needs to be at a certain temperature, which is lower than the temperature of the body. That's why the the balls are outside of the body and they change a lot in shape and form depending on the temperature. Uh, And a possibility, something that was researched around 2013 by this uh, French doctor, is this heating underwear. Because when the sperm is in like a higher temperature than 34 degrees, the sperm dies. And so uh, basically what you what you can do as a person with a penis is to put this underwear 
um and you just have to wear it you have to wear it always as you wear your underwear but you can take it off for like three four hours so for showering for going for a swim and there's no problem um and with this it is more efficient than the pill so it really does like cause complete infertility and you can only buy it one you can buy it one time and use it for as long as you want maybe you can buy a couple um and yeah it is really not very known it is becoming more and more common in france because that's where it um it first was discovered but it's something that i think should be promoted more and more because i think contraception should not be only the women's responsibility and also given that there are options for men which don't have any negative side effects on their mm. health uh, as opposed to all these forms of female contraception which do i think it is important to start taking it more seriously and including it more so i think that should also be discussed in sex education but you said that it makes it makes uh, it makes men or like people with penises completely infertile right it like does but do can you gain fertility back or does it mean you can never have children afterwards oh no no you then it's just as long as you wear it you have to wear it um for like a month before you know for sure for sure that you're infertile and then you continue wearing it and you can just take it off for three four hours have sex do whatever you mm. want and then put it back on and then when you stop wearing it after like two months you are again fertile okay. so there's yeah. no risk in losing mm. fertility it's just that you keep pr producing sperm it's just the sperm dies because temperature is not ideal for them mm. but then when you again stop putting this temperature change your sperm are ready to to have babies <laughs> yeah to <laughs> no to reproduce yeah Yeah, okay, I mean, that's that's great to know. I think a lot mm -hmm. of people are probably not aware, and I will link the um, I will link in the show notes maybe um, a resource about, like, um, talking about this, or I don't know if there's websites if you can yeah. where you can order these underwear. For sure, I can, yeah, give it to you at the end. Great. <laughs> okay, cool. Then, yeah, I think we touched upon many, like, really really important topics about what is problematic with sex education today and then topics of that should be addressed or that would be addressed in your utopian sex education mm -hmm. course subject mm -hmm. such as STI such as male contraception such as compulsory monogamy such as orgasms and I was just wondering is are there already any initiatives or individuals organizations that are already implementing this form of more inclusive queer sex education mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes certainly there are and i would definitely like to give them a lot of credit for it because they're making huge changes in different countries and for example um i know that in the uk there are like three main associations i don't remember exactly what they're called right now uh but one is called queering sex education and the other to something with lgbtq uh, i can also put the link in the in the bio yeah uh and then also i know that for example in spain um uh, because that's where i've been doing research on and the current state of sex education in spain on a national level is rather worrisome because um the law of sex education of spain which was implemented in 2013 
does not include anything about sex education. So there are no official national standards of what sex education should be like. Mm -hmm. However, um, recently in 2019, in the autonomous community of Catalonia specifically, and also two or three others, like the Basque Country and Valencia, they have started implementing a new law of sex education, which is called Coeducat, which means co-educate yourself. And in here, there are they are really implementing a really broad curriculum where they talk about all these things that we discussed, about polyamory, compulsory monogamy, even about intersectionality, even about LGBTQ um, rights, about also the importance of deconstructing the gender binary. Also, it's a sex education that will be implemented uh, for kids since they're three years old until wow. they are 16. So from a very early age, which I think is super important. Uh, they will also do consent workshops. They will also do um, exercises with like dractivism, which is a super interesting concept uh, to deconstruct the binary with kids. Oh, yeah. Wow. So there are, st there are already nice initiatives that are happening that are very inspiring to see. But of course, most of these are not on a not on a like governmental level, and it's mm -hmm. more like NGOs and non-profit-driven, different types of associations. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they are sort of paving a way, and hopefully, at some point, governments realize, okay, this is the way to go about it, and then you can, I guess, then there is the money, you know, there is the funding, and then you can roll it out like yeah. nationally, or maybe even like Europe-wide. Yes. 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 Also, on to end on a positive note, um, I wanted to mention that I think something really interesting and really important that is happening within these groups that are implementing queer sex education all around is that they also implement a lot of this methodology or approach that I was talking about of being vulnerable and mm. of also using artistic expression as a way to promote openness and to help the children express themselves and figure out their identities together yeah. through singing, through dancing, through painting and all of these kind of forms of expression that have a lot of potential, I think, as well. And yeah. Right. Um Yeah, maybe hopefully someone can invent a time travel so I can become a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And, and yeah. Enjoy some dractivism. <laughs> <laughs> when growing up, that would be great. <laughs> But I guess I'm it's also nice that it's happening for uh, the future generation. Yeah. Because they are the future. Exactly. And yeah, with that, I would like to thank you so much for <laughs> being on the podcast today and talking to me about all these really really important topics that are so so important within our social relations but also within the more uh, macro like power dynamics yes. thank so you for having me it was beautiful <laughs> If you want to support the podcast, you can do so via PayPal or via Steady crowdfunding page. And of course, if you don't want to or don't have the means to do so, no problem at all. I want to keep this free and accessible for everyone. So, yes, thank you so much for listening and see you next time or hear you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>